Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. We might start off in Elijah. Can you find that in your Bible, please? It's 1 Kings 17. I just want to talk to the story about Elijah and the drought, the ravens and the widow. Starting at verse 1. Now, Elijah, and we should have it up on the screen in a second. Look at that. Now, Elijah the Tishbite, and if I get the words wrong, sorry, I'm not Israeli. (laughs) Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my words. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called And please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry. Sorry, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah, whom I just pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord God, that you would touch people's hearts here and mine included, Lord God. Lord, that the words you have given me won't be from me but from you. Father, that we would learn from the story in this Bible, Lord God, this person, Elijah's experience and the widow's experience, Lord God, that we can translate that into our lives. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just touch us now. Amen. Can I get a drink? Got somebody's three and a half year life in 17 verses. And you can read the story really quickly. I'm just going to pack this up here. I'm getting lost with the song words. We can um, read through a story really quickly and we don't sort of unpack it as to how it's, it really is. You know, Elijah, he comes along and he announces a great drought. You know, Ahab, he was a mongrel king. He was king of Israel. He was 
They said he did worse things than any other king. So he, he wasn't great at all. He, um, he married the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonese or something, and began to serve Baal and worship him. So he married Jezebel. So everybody knows that if you've got a good wife, you've got a good thing going, and Jezebel wasn't one of those. So he wasn't on a good path anyway. He did more wicked. He set up, a, he built a temple for Baal, and he started worshipping there. So the whole, his whole reign was basically wrecked. So God thought, well, I'm going to bring judgment on him and on the, the country there. So Elijah pronounced the drought. So, you know, when you tell a king that the whole country there is going to be in a three and a half year drought, I would imagine you're not real popular. You know, you're not going to be the, the weatherman that everybody wants to listen to. So anyway, so Elijah then the word of the Lord came to him. It says in verse 2, Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. There was a couple of... I just want to pick this apart and just sort of from my perspective as to what Elijah went through and the widow went through. And, um, you know, the, the ravens, they weren't a clean bird. They were sort of an unclean thing. They were sort of a, a scavenger bird. So there was a challenge for a Jew there, you know, like to, to have that to bring the food and the meat and that sort of thing was a challenge for him. So that was one challenge. But he was obedient. He might have thought, well, God, you could send me anywhere. Why do I have to hide there? You know, like you can just transport me wherever you want to go, put me wherever. But anyway, he went to the brook. And he was there. So, you know, it doesn't say that there was a five-star hotel there on the edge of the creek. I don't know what was there, but he lived there for, and there's another thing, the drought went for three and a half years. So he was three and a half years at the brook and with the widow. And it doesn't say whether he did two years at the brook or six months at the brook, but I would imagine it would have been uncomfortable. You know, not much to do. No TV, internet, no no mobile phones or Facebook or, you know, Instagram or anything. So it was just a time of waiting. It wouldn't suit me at all because I'm just the most impatient Lord. You know, I want three and a half days of drought. That's fine. And then we move on from there, not to three and a half years. But he was obedient. He went there. And every morning the ravens come and they... And, and they brought bread and meat and every night they came again and, and he drank water from the brook. But over time, and it doesn't say how long it was, but over time gradually he would have seen that the creek slowly dried up. And he must have been looking, okay, now where do we go from here? What happens when this, you know, when, when we're in our lives and, and, and things are going along nice and rosy and then all of a sudden the sort of tap's turned off and... We're thinking, now, where next? You know, the job might be a bit uncertain. Some things happen and we think, what next? So he just waited and waited and every day he would have come down and the brook was a little bit smaller, a bit smaller, until one day it dried up. And um, then he heard from God again. How good is God? Hey, you know, he wasn't late. He didn't, he didn't say that he nearly starved or nearly died because of the thirst. You know, God was perfectly on time. The brook dried up and then he heard God again. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Serapath in the region of Sidon and stay there. He must have thought, did I hear that right? You know, at Zarephath, that was where Jezebel was born. That's where basically all the Baal worshippers were there. And you're sending me there? There's people hunting for me? They want to, you know, they want to do whatever, I don't know. And you're going to send me right back there? Did I hear that right? But as we heard from John this morning, sometimes God doesn't work the way we think he should work. You know, we've always got plans. I've, I've had plans for my life and not many of them have turned out the way that I thought they should. You know, I could be God really good, you know, like um, heaven almighty or whatever, that he thought he could do God better than God. Guess what? We serve an almighty God. And I look back now and I think I couldn't have designed my life any better. And I have screwed up so many times that I've missed the where God wanted me to, but he just brought me back around again, brought me back around because he's a faithful God, he's a loving God and he's a forgiving God. I don't know any person here that could put their hand up, I'd like to think everybody could, that have gone exactly where God wanted them to go to every time. I know I've missed the mark, but my God is so faithful. And it's not always in the place where you want to go. You know, I would have, more, I would have thought when he said, you know, I want you to go to Zerapa, God, I want to go the other direction. You know, I, can, I want to go where nobody's looking for me, where I'm comfortable, where there's people in my, you know, who worship you. You know, not where all the Baal worshippers are. I was Jonah. You know, one door was closing and another opening up. In our lives, it can be very fearful when that happens. You know, one door closes, job, relationship, money, whatever, can be. One door closes and then guess what you've got to do? You've got to trust God for the next step. You have to trust him. And that's exactly what Elijah did. And then he went on to, uh, went on to God see, went on to say, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Now, we can say that so quickly, but... Between the brook and Zarephath was about, they reckon about 140 to 160 kilometres. So if he was walking, like nowadays we just put it in Google Maps, okay, I'd arrive there at 10.52. Perfect. <laughs> on a donkey, depending on how fast the donkey was or whether you're walking, it could have been anywhere from one day to, well, it wouldn't have been one day unless you were running real quick, but, you know, it, it could have been from a week, but guess what? Again, we see God's timing. Just as he came up to the gate, the widow was there picking up sticks. You know, she wasn't there every morning looking for him to come. She was there the exact timing, picking up the sticks to meet Elijah. And she didn't know he was meet- she was meeting him, I don't think. She was just picking up sticks. And it says that she was going back to bake a cake so they could have it and die. Her future was not looking really good at that time. It wasn't. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. She must have had a bit of water. She must have had a little bit more water than perhaps she needed, but she didn't have much else. 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we, that we may eat it and die. You know, she wasn't, I would presume, she wasn't a healthy woman. She was going home to die. I think, you know, she'd been starving perhaps. You don't go healthy and think this is my last meal and I'm going to die. You think, okay, you know, I'm going to find wood, you know, I'm going to find something somewhere else. She was down to her last. That was all she had, her and her son. But I like what else she says. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Don't forget, she's a Gentile. And yet she sees something in Elijah as a man of God. What do people see in us when they look at us? You know, when Moses went up to be with God and he said he came down and his face was radiant. Are we like that to the community around us? Or do we just blend in with the rest? Bit of a challenge there. You know, we need to be that radiant. We need to be the light in a dark world. People need to be able to look at us. You know, we don't need to necessarily, really, we shouldn't have to say much. Our lives should say it. What's that saying? Um, You might be the only Jesus that people see or hear. You know, that's who we are. So we need to make sure every day that we are Jesus. We don't just blend in, we stand out. We want people to come up to us and say, I want what he's got. I want a part of that. And I know we have our off days, we have our bad days, and there's no living a, um, a I'm okay everyday life. Sometimes we have those days where we don't want to get up, we don't want to go to work, and life it just sucks. But guess what? God is still God. And if we've got that joy inside us, we can still radiate him out. And he might have also thought, Okay, I've travelled 140, 160 kilometres by foot. No doubt he was tired, worn out. I don't know what went on in that journey, you know. That was a bit of a testing time for him, possibly. All the time thinking, you know, are they going to find me? Are they going to, what are they going to do when I get there? And he walks up to this widow that God has told him is going to be there and give him food. And the first thing she says, I haven't got any. Now he might have said, okay, where's the next widow? There's got to be another one round here somewhere with plenty of everything. You know? No, he didn't. There wasn't another one there. There was only the one. Well, there might have been other widows, but there was only one there. But God in that could have sent him anywhere and sent him to any person. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the land. Elijah wasn't sent there for just his own benefit. He was sent there for the widow's benefit because without him going there, the widow would have died and her son and possibly Elijah. So, you know, obedience is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But guess what? God just doesn't worry about you. There's people that you can rub up to this week 
that need you, need what you have, that you can affect for him. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. She was basically walking out on a limb. She was giving everything that she had. Exactly. Full trust in God. You know, she could have said, okay, but just wait a minute. Priority's right here. You know, how many of you women here would give a stranger a cake and let your son starve to death? I don't know. I, know my, I don't think my wife would because her kids and grandkids are pretty special to her. You know, be first, okay, I want to make us some first and if there's some left, if God's right and he does give me a bit more, I'll make one for you. No, she doesn't. What faith she has. Don't forget she's just a Gentile. She does what she, what she doesn't have to do. It speaks to us that even the little that we have can be used mightily in the hand of God. Some of us might think, I've got no talent, I've got no, I haven't got much this, I haven't got much money, I can't, I can't help, I can't, I can't, I can't. You can. Because like we did a kid's story last week about David, you know, everyone's got talents. You know, he had a talent with a sling, sling. He killed a bear and a lion and he killed Goliath. I don't know if it was all with slings. He had a talent that he could use. It was just a sling. He mostly thought, what am I going to do with that? But in God's hands, he killed, a, he killed a giant. See, anything we can give God, he can use mightily. we just got to be able to give it. I like, you know, what does God need to do great things with? Men, you're made from dirt. Think of it. A bit of dirt picked up and he created us gorgeous men. How amazing. Women created from a rib. Amazing. He doesn't need much. You know, he doesn't need much to create beauty, to create anything. Feeding the 5,000. And now I'm thinking, I've been thinking this through this week and I thought 5,000 men and women, or men and there's women and kids and whatever, I'm sure there must have been another lady there who packed a picnic basket. You can't tell me there was one kid out of 5,000 that had. I've come to the conclusion there was one kid that was willing to give theirs. I'm sure there was other food there. I'm sure there was. But there was one kid that was willing to give a little bit to Jesus. And can you imagine the look on his face when there was, I just keep feeding all these people. Imagine the story when he went home to his mum and dad. Guess what happened today? You know, I gave five fishes. No. Five loaves and two fish. I always get that confused. And guess what? God fed 5,000 plus. Wow. Would he, have been, would he have lived his life the same? I don't think so. I think he would have stepped out of faith all the time. See, we give God a little bit and he replaces it. He swaps it with so much more. There was a story and this little girl, she, it was years ago and she, she went to the store with her mum and she saw this little pearl necklace. And, you know, every girl likes their necklace same as the older ones, like their necklaces sometimes. And she had this pearl and it was in this shop and it was only a plastic cheap one, but for her it was fantastic. She just wanted to get this pearl necklace and she said, Mum, can I get the money? And she said, no, I don't have it. But I guess what? You can work for it. 
You can work for it. You can do some jobs and, and you can get this pearl necklace. So she did all the jobs for mum and dad and grandma and, and pop and whatever. And she got, it was only a really cheap necklace, but she got this necklace. She went to the shop and she said, I want that necklace. And she got it and she went home so proud of this necklace. She put it on and she was a queen in this necklace. She thought it was fantastic. After a couple of days, her dad came into her at night time and he'd say prayers with her and read her a story. And he'd say to her lovingly, he said, can I have your necklace? And she said, oh, but I love my necklace. I love my necklace. It's so special to me. If you love me, give me your necklace. But I can't. So he'd say, okay, that's okay, darling. Kiss her goodnight. Walk back out. Next night he'd do the same thing. Can I have your necklace? You know, no, I love my necklace. Anyway, the third night he came in to tell the story and he could see tears running down her her face and he he said, what's wrong, darling? And she pulled out her hand and he said, you can have my necklace. And he reached in his pocket. He said, thank you, darling. He reached in his pocket and he pulled out. Perfect, real pearl necklace to give to her. And she loved it so much. Same with God. We can hold on to things that we think are so precious, so important to us, so that we've got to have, we've got to keep. You know, we give them to God and what does he replace them with? Something so much better. You know, it's only when we give, you know, he doesn't give that to us first. We have to give him that to him first. Then he will bless us. You know, we've got to make sure that we don't hold on to rubbish, a cheap imitation, because God's got a better thing for us, so much better. All this lady had was an empty barrel, but God loves using people with an empty barrel. There are many illustrations in the Bible where people, that God asks for people. No, there are many people in the Bible that God uses that didn't have the means to provide what God was asking them for. An illustration, Abraham and Sarah. He said, I want a baby. What was their reaction? A bit of a giggle in the tent. You've got to be kidding. I'm 100 and she's 90. They didn't have the means for it. Guess what? Happened. It happened. God let it happen. I'll read it. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked. There in the tent, he replied. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you at this time next year and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was behind him listening at the entrance of the tent and Abraham and Sarah were already old, I'd say very old, And well along in years, Sarah had passed the age of childbearing by a lot of years. So she laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? And the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really bear a child when I am old? I love this bit. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. She was afraid. 
No, replied the Lord, but you did laugh. But guess what? Isaac was born. How amazing. At 190. Well, no, one was 100 and one was 90. <laughs> still, pretty, still pretty fantastic. But guess what? God does amazing things. He, there was other people out there, 30, 40, that he could have picked. He didn't. You know, he doesn't always work the way we would think. He likes to do. Sometimes I think, I think he's a very humorous God. I think he gets up in the morning sometimes and thinks, I'm going to really amaze somebody today the way I do something. They're not going to think that I'm going to do it this way, but I'm going to really do this. The next one we look at is Gideon. I love, I love Gideon. You know, I, I really relate to Gideon, um, especially in his earlier life. And we've got that one up there. Okay, so Gideon. And then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah that belonged to Josiah, whatever, when his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So he wasn't really a brave man, okay? He was hiding. He was scared. He was, um, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Not the really usual place that you do it, but when you've got enemy coming attacking you, that's what you do. And I love the Lord's response. Um, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Oh, awesome. You know, I'm hiding. I'm sure he puffed his chest out and thought, what, me? Pardon me, sir, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us and where are all your wonders about which our fathers told us, saying that has not the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Am I not sending you? And then you get it, oh, but. Please, Lord, please, Gideon said, how can I deliver Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Whether they were or not, I don't know. But in his eyes, they were. They were the weakest clan. Surely I will be with you, the Lord replied, and you will strike down all the Midianites as one man. You know, when we're transitioning from one place to another and there's fear in us, there's one assurance that we can have, that God is with us. And that's all we need. You know, out of that story, Gideon was a man hiding in a wine press. He was frightened. He was scared. He was the youngest. He was the least. He went out to fight the Midianites. 32,300 went out and God said, you've got too many. So Gideon said, okay, who's scared? So 22,000 ran home. I'm sure that I would have been part of them. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, there was 10,000 left and God said again, there's still too many. I'm sure Gideon would have said, excuse me? Excuse me? Still too many. He said, go down and I want you to get them all to drink in the water. And those that kneel down and drink with their head in the water, send them home. So there was another 9,700 went. You know, Gideon was having a great day. This is the, you know, this is the day you talk about later on, you know. There was only 300 were left, 300 who drank out of their hand because they were ready, they were watching. 300. Gideon the scared little boy. Well, he wasn't a scared little boy, but he was scared. He might not have been a little boy. He might have been. I don't know. Guess what? They defeated 135,000 Midianites. With his strength, 
and God was with him. You know, we're all made up of the same. We have the same God in us that was in, the, in, in Gideon. You know, the same people out there. The people out there aren't more scared, than, I mean, more scary than the Midianites. But guess what? We have God inside us. We don't have to be scared. If God says to go somewhere, to give something, to do something, remember that he's in control. You know, the, the explanation of success is, it's not wealth, money, James Packer or whatever, okay? It's doing what God has called you to do. You know, not me doing what he's called you to do, me doing what I'm called to do, you doing, you being called to what you're to do. That is success. That's when we can lie back in our deathbed many years from now, I hope, thinking, yeah, I did what God wanted me to do. I might have missed it a few times, but guess what? That's it. And then we look at Moses in Exodus 3.11. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Then Moses answered, what if they refuse to believe me or to listen to my voice? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? What's in your hand that God can use? He used what the widow had in her hand. Wasn't much. You know, it wasn't a basket full from coals, woolies or whatever. It was just a little bit of bread. He used it. A staff, he replied, please, Lord Moses replied, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? What a smack in the head that was. You know, what excuse is that? Who created you? Who gave man his mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf, sighted or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you as you speak and I will teach you what to say. But then again, Moses replied, please, Lord, send someone else. But I love it because Moses went. And what did he do? He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. What an amazing life he led. Wasn't what he thought his life was going to be like, I'm sure. But it was what God had planned him to do. So in that, he was successful. You know, another couple of illustrations, David, the little shepherd boy, like I talked about before, you know, he killed the lion and the bear and and he hadn't quite killed Goliath at this time. But Samuel talked to um, Jesse, you know, line your boys up because one of them's, I want to anoint one of them to be king, you know, I want to have a sacrifice. So, you know, it was a special feast, you know, they're all going to be there. So he got seven of his sons. You know, and they all walk before Samuel. And Samuel even thought in his mind, this one's got to be the one because he's pretty big and looks handsome and tough or whatever. And God said, no, no. Went through the whole seven of them. And he said to Jesse, you got any more? Oh, yeah, we forgot one. He's out in the paddock. You know, we watched Home and Alone last night. You know, he's, he's a bit like him. You know, he's, he's alone in the attic. He's out there in the paddock. We forgot him. Get him to come to me. You know, the little, I don't know how old he was, but he came in. I can imagine he would have been dirty perhaps, you know, he'd been looking after the sheep out in the paddock, stinking a bit, you know. And he came in and Samuel, God said to Samuel, anoint him. <coughs> See, it doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter what we have, what we think we have, the charisma that we've got. God picks us because we are who he's chosen. Doesn't matter how. And then the last one I want to look at is Peter. A fisherman, a bit of full of himself. 
You know, Pete, you know, he shoot his mouth off a bit, no filter between the head and the brain and the mouth and just, you know, says things and stuff like that. Good fisherman, knew what he was doing. But guess what? In Matthew 26, 33, and I don't think I've got that up there, Peter replied, even if I fall away on account of you, I will never run away from you. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. It wasn't very long after that that he denied Jesus three times. You know, he was just shattered at that. You know, I've done things that have shattered me and my relationship to God. But I thank God he's not a God of the leave alone. You know, he's on the refuse tip. He's a God of restoration. You know, we see Peter, you know, after he denied Jesus, he went away and he said, boys, we're going fishing. I'm comfortable with that. I know what I'm doing. I can fish. That's one thing I can do. Went out all night and got nothing. Can you imagine the frustration? You know, Daz goes out fishing. He loves his fishing and he goes out sometimes. He, you know, it didn't work tonight. I never even got a bite. Frustration. Can you imagine Peter in front of his other disciples? You know, he was the one that was a fisherman. Couldn't get a fish. Came in. Jesus was there, but he didn't recognise me. He said, throw the net over the other side and all of a sudden a heap of fish. Peter jumped out of the boat, ran to Jesus, and Jesus restored him. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter went on to be the, you know, Fantastic. Because we have a God who restores. He didn't have much. He was an empty barrel, but God used him. So we go back to the story. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. What does God need to work with? Not much at all, as we've seen in that story, or even in my life. He doesn't need much at all to work with. He needs someone who has something to give, no matter how big or small it is, and is willing to give it. Someone willing to trust God enough to do whatever he asks. Elijah had every reason not to go and she had every reason not to give. He could have made up any excuse and you said that was be fair enough. They were hunting for him. They most probably wanted to kill him. All this, every reason. I'm not going back to that town. That's the worst town you could have ever put me in. But he was obedient to God to go because he trusted God. She could have had every reason not to give. How about my son, me? I just can't trust you enough for that. But she did. And out of that, it says, 
for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. You know, there's promises in that in the Bible that we can hold on to, so many of them, and we need to get hold of them. We need to trust Almighty God that He can use us no matter how big or small we think we are or our possessions no matter how much we think or how little they are. In the hand of God, He can use anything. There's a couple of scriptures I just want to finish up on. I will lay waste. This is Isaiah 42, 15 to 16. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known along unfamiliar paths. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. And the last one is in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Can we get the musicians just to come back up and we might finish with a song? You know, those two verses, I love them. They're doing something different. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. That's what Elijah saw when he was sitting at that brook. Everything was drying up. But God didn't abandon him. He didn't say, oh, well, that's just one person. He can, you know, he can just die. He had a plan for him. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. along unfamiliar paths. If you're that person today that God's been challenging you in an area that you need to do, go, I don't know, give, do something. I believe the Scripture is for you. I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them. You know what I'll do? I will light up your path. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to be there holding your hand as you walk along. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. You know, when we're asked to do something, we can see every mountain. They're most probably only a pebble. We can build mountains out of pebbles, can't we? We can. But guess what? I will make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do and I will not forsake them. I will not leave you alone. Forget the form of it, forget your past. If you hang, I did that years ago. I did this, you know, I was comfortable. You know, I, I, I was comfortable where I was. I just want to stay where I am, but you can stay there and the creek dries up and you might die. God has so much more in the new place He wants to take you. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. I love that. Now it springs up. It just doesn't come up slow. It springs up. It's there in front of you. Do you not perceive it? You know, ask God to open your eyes to what He's got planned for you. I am making a way in the wilderness. You know, when we're going through a transition, it always seems to be a wilderness that we're heading into. You know, and streams in the wasteland. 
Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.